Hey everyone, welcome to episode 180 of 15 with Randy and Richard. Everyone else abandoned ship this week, but it's an unusual Tuesday, so that had something to do with it. This week, we are going back, 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 all the way back to the Golden Age. So you will join us there momentarily. Last week, our first message in this Musical Stories of Faith series came about, and Richard reminded us that our heritage is the family of God. That was a really unique message that... Looking at it from the beginning, I didn't see where we were going to end. And even further through the podcast, I totally didn't think we would end up where we went. So if you missed either of those or any during this, any message series, you can always find that at hospitalchurch.org and the podcast on your mobile devices, Apple and Google Podcasts, and of course, always streaming on Spotify. So this week was Musical Stories of Faith, The Golden Age, and we get into hymns. And as I was anticipating this topic over the past week, since we taped the last episode, I was wondering like, okay, I kind of think I know what we're going to talk about, but what are we going to talk about? I think, no, I think I know what Richard's going to talk about on Sabbath, but I don't really know what we're going to talk about because I can't top your knowledge of this history, your presentation of the backstories to these iconic names like Luther, Calvin, Watts, the Wesleys, Crosby, Dorsey. And I'd be absolutely lost pulling together the hymns or these congregational worship elements that really prefaced and highlighted the musical magnitude of all of these accomplishments of these people. But I was left with a renewed appreciation for a few things that I think we often take for granted in a musical worship service. So I'm going to see if this rings true with you, Richard. Familiarity. There's something about singing an old song that you know by heart. You've sung it a thousand times and without the need to think about or watch what comes next on the screen for the lyrics, like which way are we going to sing it this week, your focus seems to be more squarely on just the worship of God, right? I think that's true of him. Do you agree, disagree? Um, I don't know that the focus I, – I actually, I, would ho- I hope that the focus of worshiping on God is present in both things. Should be. I think that the uh, what has changed is simply the technology and the amount of information that is being passed. So on a screen, obviously, you're just getting a lyric content, and typically with something like that, you're getting some sort of graphic image, and and usually there might be some kind of color scheme, a mood, all those kind of things. With a book and a hymnal, you're getting a tremendous amount of information about the music. You're getting parts that. You can explore if you have some familiarity with singing parts. You also have usually hymnals have dates, composers of both the tune and the words, and uh, and so they can you know transport you to different ways of receiving the gospel, but hopefully still both focused on worship. Yeah. I kind of put in in parentheses here that this is also true of younger people that may not have grown up in a church that ever sang hymns, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if if you grew up here at the hospital church, not saying we never sing hymns, but oftentimes we sing them in a different way. We don't sing them out of the hymnal Mm -hmm. and they might just think, well, that's a great song, but they don't necessarily associating that like this is a hymn that was written in the golden age, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what you just said, uh, my next point was history, singing in a writing and speaking style that maybe isn't our norm today And that comes from a different time period. And for me, sometimes that can cause a little bit deeper thought and introspection as to where those words came from and what the meaning was in that time. 
maybe it was written in a different style that makes you just kind of examine what you're, what you're singing. Mm-hmm. Cause like thee and thou and uh bulwark and, you know, some of these big words that, I mean, when's the last time outside of the hymn you've heard that mm-hmm. term used, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's something to that and choir, right? Now, come on. It was good to see the choir. It was good to listen to the choir, but there's something about the confidence. I think from at least maybe from it's my perspective of a congregation when you have a choir, it's almost like you're a little less intimidated to sing because they're the ones that should be intimidated, right? You can see them. They're up in front. They're supposed to be on key. They're supposed to not miss cues. They're the professionals as it were. And so maybe that provides a little vocal cover just in case you missed, but it's also a very real invitation to join the program, right? That I think sometimes, well, there might be someone, even if it's, you know, like Philip up front with just an acoustic guitar. Not to say that I'm not accusing Philip of being a performer, but sometimes I would just want to listen to Philip sing, right? Because it's, because he's really good. It's a natural, right? And so I I think with the choir, that adds another piece to it. Would you agree that that's something we we do we miss out if we don't have a choir? Or is well, it just a, I mean, it could go both ways. People could easily be overwhelmed by the wonderful singing of a choir, and, that's true and, too, and, yeah. and just and observe what then the worship leader or is to encourage participation. And 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 since we're using Phil as an example, that's something that Phil is very good at is to engage. And Phil has a great way of just kind of slipping into the background. And that is what we strive for with our worship leaders and those yeah. up front is to not draw unnecessary attention to themselves, but to facilitate congregational worship, congregational song, and that's what it's about. So, you know, we we have a variety of ways that we express that because we see a variety of ways expressed in the Bible. And we see a, a very big God who does all kinds of things. He's the fire on the mountain and he's the still small voice. So sometimes we have a little acoustic guitar and, and one person and sometimes we have bands and orchestras and choirs and, <laughs> and, and big things. And we just don't want to get into a rut with – any one thing because we think our God loves diversity. Power of human voices together. Now that's one that, you know, being that yesterday was Veterans Day, I was thinking that there are a few things that move someone's soul more than the playing of taps, right? I, a couple of different things I tuned into yesterday, I saw on social media was the playing of taps. And it always seems to get you, you know, right here. And it's played in complete reverence and reflection. And I think that same feeling, at least for me, comes when no matter what the worship style is, whether you're, you know, choir and and hymns or whether you're with a a worship band, when voices are joined in worship, they overpower anything else. Even the choir can be overpowered. And a certain magnitude of worship is achieved that just can't be replicated any other way. That's, that was a, a takeaway for me personally listening to the congregation sing this week. And like last week, you mentioned that you just wanted that piano yeah, so you could have the voices. Mm-hmm. And I heard it and I, I know that to be true. But when you really, when you stop and think about all the different things that go into worship and when you hear those, it does give you a feeling that it's really hard to replicate in any other way, whether you're praying or whether you're talking to God out loud or singing. It's mm-hmm. a it's a different feeling. What mm-hmm. bring, what brings about that that dynamic? Yeah, when that, people that's a great those questions. So when we sing as a congregation, first of all, 
you brought this point up last week about oh, do we have to stand again? You know, <laughs> and and yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> and, and let me tell you why though, because when we sit, we are more likely to be passive. Mm. Sitting is passive. Standing is active. And so we're already trying to engage with people. So now now we're standing. Now, second of all, for singing purposes, standing helps your diaphragm to breathe and sing much more than sitting. So, you know, when you go to hear a choir concert, they're standing. Yeah. I mean, occasionally, if there's some reason, I mean, you can sit and sing. You can be, have the perfect posture and do it. But typically, you stand and sing. So engagement. Great posture for singing. And then there's some other interesting things that happen. Look at the other elements that happen in worship. You sit and listen to announcements. You sit and listen to the scripture. You sit and listen to a sermon. Everything else that happens is passive. You Mm -hmm. may do a meet and greet. You may stand up and walk. But when we stand and when we sing – we are being active. Now, not only that, but our minds, it's the time when our all of our minds are focused on the same thing at one time if we're reading and singing. And it's, so that's when they say, he who sings prays twice. So when we're singing now, we're singing these words of scripture or of some sort of nature attributed to God. Now we are actively all Together, our minds are unified in this praise, adoration of God with our voices. We're active. And here's a real interesting thing that happens, and this just is about choirs in general, but it applies obviously here, is that when we start singing together, we all start breathing together because the way lyrics are that you sing a phrase and then you take a breath. They've done these tests with choirs. They've monitored them is that their hearts start beating in synchronicity. Hmm. So because we're breathing together and so there's this is this real unified active engagement participatory worship. And so that is where I try to do anything at my disposal to create an environment that allows that to happen. Wow. I mean, you know that you're going to be asked to stand, right? I mean, even if you're in if you're in a church that has a piano and an organ, and that's the style of worship that they still use, you know you're going to stand because let's stand for song service. You may kneel for prayer. Some places you'll stand for prayer. But I never gave it that much thought that there was this other component to it other than, yeah, being active. But that's that's super cool. Isn't that cool, a that's cool very, thought? That, that's that, very that, cool. That, yeah, that, and, it, and so it's something that's happening that really you're not really aware of. Aware of, yeah. But it's a real thing, and that's really the unity. And like you'll see something like um, when Solomon was at the temple, and like they finally built it, and it says all the priests and they were they were singing in unison, and it's like it's this unified thought. They were all together, all on the same page, praising God, and then His glory fills the temple, and it's just yeah. it's a real powerful thought. So next time you're asked to stand. No, it's for a really it's good a really, reason. It's not arbitrary. It's not, it's not arbitrary. It's not because they're just being mean and they want to see if I got to stand, you got to stand. Oh, That's what we used to say when I was kids. And I and, and, and certainly, of course, there are elderly folks who that's not, you know, it, oh, it doesn't yeah. work. And, and so it, we understand all those things. It's never anything to force anyone in, in, into some way. But our job is to engage the congregation to facilitate worship and to do everything we can to eliminate distractions 
and to help people focus on what we should be focusing on. That's awesome. Well, it's kind of funny this morning as I opened my email before running through the remainder of my notes for today, I ran across an article from the Saturday Evening Post titled, The Beat Goes On and On. Why does every generation hate the music that comes after it? And I couldn't help but find a bunch of similarities in in this article between popular music and worship music. And the second paragraph of the article summed it up pretty nicely. This was from the Saturday Evening Post. I think it was November 7th. But the Saturday Evening Post on July 15th, 1967, featured a piece called Pop Music, The Most or Just a Mess? In it, music manager and rock journalist Alfred G. Aronowitz considers truths and fabrications about the nature of pop music. And now every generation seems suspicious of the music that the next generation is making because for as long as there's been music, there's been a generational rift over what's good and what's garbage. And as I listen to your message and the different styles and approaches that each of these golden age pioneers brought to this art of praising God and worship and song, it seems as though nothing has changed in our vast differences when it comes to music in general. And then it seems like you can multiply that by a hundred when it comes to what is worship music and what is not. How would you view that phenomenon of it continues to move on, but does it become any less worshipful because of a style or a genre when we already know that our best worship is like, filthy, stinking rags to God. Mm -hmm. So I know it's a question that gets asked a lot and there's not, probably not just a short, trite answer. Well, there probably is. (laughs) And maybe that's not. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. Why can't we just be okay with variety? Because I think Christians, we think, oh, well, this is something that divides us. But really music and tastes and preferences Music just does that to everybody, no matter what kind of music you listen to. Yeah, it's a great question. And really, this is to do with the psychology of music and uh, neuroscience, music therapy. They, they ask a lot of these questions. And we do have a, a textbook of, of history to see what has stood the test of time. What yeah. What is it? And, uh, of course, written music is, is only fairly – recent that we really have a great record of that. But certainly lyrics, we have some pretty old hymns that have been around and still strike people a certain way. And then the melodies, we've come to attach them. And and we're going through a time period now where we're about refreshing those or reharmonizing the great hymns with organ pieces. That's kind of what we would call a block style. And that is that every word would have a different chord underneath Mm. it. And so to play that on a guitar is very challenging. (laughs) Da, 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 da. And so we have kind of adapted in the last 30 years or so just a different harmonic style and approach. I should say we, as in churches that are really, I would say, more progressive, moving with the the kind of the Jesus movement and and everything that's come since then, which really has sought to engage the average person musically. So here's the thing about music history and what, what we've seen about these songs is that music is on a big pendulum and just like everything else, it just swings from one way to the other. And you look at the four major time periods in classical music, Renaissance, Baroque, 
classical, and romantic. And that pendulum just swung one way over the other. So in the Renaissance, the Renaissance was just wild and, and uh, you know, all these ideas came forward. And then it, and anyway, it just went back and forth. And so – because I had that backward. The Renaissance was actually more conservative. Baroque was wild. Classical brought it, you know, very much about form. And then again, romantic again, wild. So so these these pendulums just kind of swing. And so, you know, we get tunes that stay with us. And uh, well, just one more example. So J.S. Bach was known both in his lifetime as this great organist, composer, you know, one of the few who was recognized during his lifetime is, wow, this is really it. But towards the end of his life, you know, he had this big family and he had all these sons, uh, CPE Bach, all the Bachs. And so his sons took on the mantle of music. And then there's like, just like every generation, dad's kind of old fashioned, yeah. right? <laughs> and and J.S. Bach went out of fashion for a period of time. And it, it wasn't until, until much later that Mendelssohn came along and rediscovered Bach. Hmm. And then Bach has now been with us since then. But it just goes to show like people uh, – I know a good deal of people who get bent out of shape when we, we don't use an, a certain instrument or when, you know, why aren't we doing this? And I say, look, you know, history tells us that these things, if it's just because it's out of vogue for the moment, just just be patient. Come back. You know, the great works come back and we don't have to worry about it. And that's one thing about an older generation is they worry about losing something precious to them. It's something very meaningful and something that's a good thing. But if it's really good, it's going to stand the test of time. It might be out of vogue for a little while. It's like hymnals. There may be some hymnal, hymnal maybe come back. It'll be in a different form, a different fashion. We may have these things, but people get really bent out of shape. I'm just like, just, just wait for it it'll, yeah. it'll it'll happen part of what i like about what we do here at the hospital church and i won't get the probably the terminology correct but you'll take a, a hymn and you'll pop in a chorus or a verse into another song that's from 15 years ago 10 years ago current and kind of meld them together i don't it's not like a mashup or i don't know what you want to call, what you mm-hmm. would call that in worship terms but i like the way that you kind of bridge the gap between this is something that's new and it's fresh and it's something that maybe the younger generation knows because they've grown up with it. And you throw this other course in and I know that some people wouldn't even recognize that that's an old hymn, but you you find like the best of both and you put it together in a newly arranged piece and it becomes something really, really cool. And if, I feel like those are the kinds of things that bring people together when you can find kind of the best of both. Yeah. And I noticed that that happens maybe not all the time, but fairly frequently that I recognize it. And I'm not a, you know, once, uh, you know, eighties and seventies, that's kind of where I'm stuck at. So and it's a good place, Randy. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a good, good place. place, but I feel like those really can pull people together and bring those pieces and they're very enjoyable to sing. And I like it because you hear the younger people singing the parts that they know and all of a sudden, when you come to that verse or that chorus that's from an old hymn, and all of a sudden, other voices just start coming in and raising up. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're all singing together because they know that part. They don't even have to look. They know what that is. As soon as the first word comes across the screen, they're like, oh, I know that tune. Mm-hmm. I know that part. I can sing it out. And it's just – it's really good. Yes. And I like that. So the older generation desperately needs the new songs and the younger generation desperately needs yeah, yeah. the old songs. I think the most beautiful picture is a grandfather standing in worship next to his grandson and singing one of those songs. And for 
the grandfather to really just belt out the fairest Lord Jesus. And when it comes to the praise chorus that's been added on, then the child does it. And so we have this intergenerational worship and that's you know, that's a, it's a huge thing. And it, and it's something that is thought through. It's something that is, um, you know, and, and some people, uh, you know, might not, might not think the way I, I think that that is really one thing we have to, to continue to engage is how can we look at getting the most from our, our brief moments of singing in a week, when else are these people going to be singing? And so yeah. how can we get it so that we can maximize our togetherness there? Ever since we've been here, the music has been one of the parts we've enjoyed the most. And personally, like I mentioned last week, you know, this might not be your week. Next week might not be your week, but your week's coming up Mm -hmm. and you'll find something that really hits home. And then the other weeks, even if it's not something, you know, it's still always done so well that you can't help but be involved and be in that process singing because the way that they're arranged, the way they go together, it's all singable and it's, you feel like you're a part of it no matter what, even if it's maybe not your specific taste. Mm -hmm. That works great. All right. I resonated with your history lesson becoming a life lesson application for parents when you said one of the greatest takeaways here is the tremendous influence of the parents in the homes when they were being raised. For a time, they instructed the children on life, but at a certain point, they challenged them to go out and use their gifts for kingdom work to see how God could work through them. Speaking directly about spiritual gifts in the music realm, what is your best advice to parents who believe their kids have a gift in songwriting, singing, or maybe as a musician to help them throw down the challenge in a way that encourages and at least makes them think about, yeah, maybe maybe I should use my talents because not everyone can do and get a collection of people. Mm-hmm. that can do what we get to enjoy every year at the mm-hmm. hospital church. There are churches you go to that don't have half that many people. M- maybe they have them, but they're not participating. They're mm-hmm. not up front using those gifts. How do you how do you encourage so that as you look at things with under this umbrella that you're talking about of inclusion and getting people to worship and sing together and have those moments, it's on us as as leaders at a church to in part to mm-hmm. help that, isn't mm-hmm. it? How do we do? How do we continue that? Yeah, it's a great question. So, a couple thoughts. One is good leadership, and so anybody can encourage a young person. Sure. And a lot of times, that's all they need. We don't have problem with information in this age. Yeah, they can find whatever they want. They really don't have a problem with technology. When I was a teenager, like the biggest thing I could think of was getting a four track recorder. If I could just get something to record and I could do some things <laughs> like, you know, and now there are three or four devices in any room you walk into that can do these things. And so I was listening to an artist today with some musicians. His name is Jacob Collier. And Jacob is one of those guys who plays every instrument, records them all, and now is doing these music videos and, you know, with all the faces there and you see him playing all the instruments and and it's the most incredible thing. And so any kid with some talent just needs to have a little encouragement to do something. And that was kind of the thing. Whatever that something is, they need to be encouraged. And, and, you know, we are fortunate. I mean, we live in the United States of America and we, we live where there's access to almost anything. And so, you know, helping someone, encouraging them, mentoring, discipling, finding resources. I think that that it's really just reaching out, connecting, 
and in, uh, just a lot of encouragement. I think we all can. I mean, I, I remember when I was a young person, certainly the people that spoke into my life when I had doubts about what I could be. And it was just simple, those words of encouragement, those steady people who just were kind. It goes a long way. Because not everybody has Richard Hickam for a father. If you know Richard and his girls, they sing beautifully and they have a lot of talent. And but I'm sure part of that comes from just being around dad all the time. Well, you and know, your wife too. She sings. She wonderfully. does well. She's the she's the vocal talent in our family, which my girls are I'm proud of their singing. But that all comes from their mother. But you know, Randy, I like to think that everybody has something to offer. Sure, absolutely. And ours just happens to be the one that you see a lot because we, we, we get up and sing. And, but there are just a million ways to serve faithfully, to use whatever your particular gifts are. And that's really what we want to also stress. And that was one of the things that these people that I talked about, they were using music, but they all also had some sort of challenge just, in their yeah. way. To get to to these places. Yeah. Well, that leads perfectly into this week's FHE takeaway. What are the gifts you have been given with which you could be more effective? And I know the focus of the message in this series is on our musical faith journey. And we realize quickly that each of these individuals, like you just said, they were on their own and often difficult journeys that it took them to get to where they were going. And when I think of my gifts personally, Many require a significant investment of my time and resources, so it's easy to just rationalize it and say, I don't have time to do that. It's too easy to do that, but it's also very rewarding when you make those investments like they did and they pushed through. You need to have these investments of time, talent, and treasure in the pursuit of kingdom ideals. So I know there are opinions inside. I heard from a lot of people while we were setting up at Barn Party and during Barn Party about how much they enjoyed the hymns and we should do this more often. And so I know there's a lot of opinions, insight, maybe desire to have your voice heard when it comes to worship. So please let us know how this series in this past week's hymn-filled service and message impacted you. Ask Richard a question and we'll read them on next week's podcast. It will be his last in this series and we might not have him back for a while. So this is your opportunity to ask your question. We will definitely not have him back for a while. <laughs> this is it. He's I'm like, glad uh, I'm to glad. do this. I said I was going to do this series over a year ago. And then it got you. And, and then you said, what was, was I like, thinking? Yeah, I was okay. So I got no note time for this. to self. Nobody's got any time note for this. To self. So what do you think? Ask the question. Let us know what you think. Reach out voicemail or text 407-965-1607 or as always, email podcast at hospitalchurch.org. Final thoughts this week are from the ending of Richard's message and a reminder that our lives and our gifts is a response to God. Speaking of the golden age pioneers, he said, what about who they are and what they did makes a difference in who you are? What are your gifts that the world needs today? Each one of these individuals did something day after day. It eventually became a habit. They didn't sit on their gifts. They applied themselves and God blessed that. Each one of these stories is a response to God. So the question just becomes, what is your story? Something mm. to think about this mm-hmm. week. What's it going to be? All right. What is, I mean, we just mentioned it. It's the final week. It's the last installment. What do we hit on for the final week? Mm. Are you ready, Randy? You I'm ready not for sure. This? I'm not sure. Ooh, ooh. Well, we, you know, we brought ourselves basically to the modern age and um, heavy metal. Among other things, we're going to talk about Kanye. Oh, well, I was close new, then. I was album, close. Jesus is King. 
Uh, hmm. If you're on any kind of social, social media, media music circles, it's been the talk. He's number one on the charts. Here's a Christian album. I want to talk about creativity. We're also going to have artwork. We're going to talk about how we, you know, gauge things. What 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 do we use? What do we say? And I want to really ask some really hard questions about, you know, the people that were so enjoyed the hymnal, had such a great week. I'm going to let it come crashing down into oh. why are we not, you know, what, what, what's, what's going on now. And we really want to, to really get into some more biblical philosophy about how, how do we gauge these things around us? So it's real kind of Ooh. real life things. And I hope it'll be interesting. We'll have more original music this week from Ron Ryan and original Ooh. artwork. We have some large scale, three large pieces of artwork, um, like six feet tall. And we're gonna have student artwork. Nice. Um, so it promises to be, um, the finale, one way or the, the other. other. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then, the, of course, the, the big thing is the application. You know, what does this mean to me? How does this change my life? How, is, how do I see Jesus in this? How does Jesus come through here? How is the gospel related through what's going on? But Kanye's – I was today and, and it started a conversation with people, you know, and so that is key. There's now a national discussion going on. Absolutely. And that – that's a good thing. Regardless of where you That's fall on, on Kanye, yeah. whether you believe he this is all for some kind of a publicity stunt or whether he's actually, you know, been born again mm. and what does he really believe and you know all these questions you see on social media, that's good all the way around because God uses every situation to bring glory to him. Mm. And he's the center. God is the center of this conversation between everybody involved, whether you're against him, you're with him, you're not sure about him. It brings everybody into the table. So here's an invitation. So you just heard what's coming up next week. So if you listen to the message on Sabbath and you hadn't asked a question before then, but you have one or a comment, please, 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 whether it's a voicemail or text, we'll read them, we'll play them on air and we'll answer them and we'll have a discussion and hopefully Andy and Jeff can join us and we can get a full discussion. We'll go super long next week if we need to, to answer them all. So don't be shy and send them. In. Pastor Jeff promises to bring two turntables. He's going to be waka, 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 hey, mixing Tom. it up. Hey Tom, do you still have your, uh, you still have your pioneer DJ set? We can get hooked Jeff up with. We mm. don't. Oh man. He's a DJ and he doesn't have his gear. We'll have to find one. Maybe oh, okay. we'll get, we can uh, scratch a little. Well, bit. We can have virtual. You can have them on your on your phones That's true. now. Yeah, maybe Tom can make us a mix for next week's show. What do you think? Okay, cool. We'll work on that too. All, All right. right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks, Richard, for making the trip down and getting your schedule wrapped around this week to make sure that. that we happen. So join us next Wednesday. Episode one eighty one will be on the docket along with thoughts on Kanye. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>